Hello and welcome to episode 16 of Get It Whacked, the Macclesfield Cricket Club podcast. Over the coming weeks and months, we intend to go behind the scenes of Mac CC and meet some of the players and characters at the club, find out some things about them you never knew or most likely never wanted to know, and above all, hopefully have a few laughs along the way. Macclesfield Cricket Club is grateful for the continued support of our various sponsors. Today's featured sponsor is Premier Estates. With offices in Cheshire and London, Premier Estates operates on a nationwide basis. They have established a large and diverse management portfolio totalling over 540 developments containing in excess of 36,000 properties throughout England and Wales. Their varied portfolio includes city centre mixed-use landmark developments incorporating leisure, retail and commercial elements. A vast range of apartments from entry level through to high spec luxury, retirement developments, contemporary living, historic mill and country house conversions, including the UK's largest group of grade one listed buildings, affordable housing, a huge array of landscape and public open space schemes, Premier Estates has a wealth of experience in property management and has the knowledge required to manage every type of development. Without further ado, I would like to introduce today's guest. This man is a former overseas professional for Macclesfield, having played for Mac for two seasons between 1992 and 1993. To say he had a big influence on the club would be an understatement, having won the league and cup double both years, together with also breaking the league record for the most number of runs in a season and also the highest individual score. Since then, he has had a stellar professional career, both as a player and coach. Described by Shane Warne as probably the best wicketkeeper up to the stumps that I've ever seen in my time. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Darren Berry. Chuck, how are you? Gee, Miles, you've made me sound very good there, but uh, I'm delighted to be part of this podcast for Macclesfield Cricket Club because, to be honest, yes, lovely introduction, and I have played cricket all over the world and coached. But I say this without hesitation, straight off the top, the two most enjoyable years of my cricketing life, and I don't say that lightly, were 92 and 93 at the Macclesfield Cricket Club. I made lifelong friends. I certainly made some lifelong enemies in the opposition throughout the two years. But boy, did we have some fun on and off the field. And most importantly, I'd like to think that I did leave a pretty good legacy with the group of players I played with. And the thing that gives me most joy was that we did do the double of the double, winning the league two years and, and winning the cup and maybe even more pleasantly the cup, Miles, because at the time, I think in particular the second year, I was not allowed to play. Overseas players weren't allowed to play in the cup. And everyone used to say it was just because Darren was making runs. I got just as much pleasure out of the boys winning the cup with me watching on the sidelines. Well, there we go. I don't know if we've uh, had a, a better riposte to an opening in the introduction on the podcast so far, Darren. And I think, um, you know, I speak on behalf of everyone when I say it's, it's fantastic to hear you say those things and talk about Macclesfield in, in the way that you do. I think, obviously, you're incredibly well known to a great many of the club, but also I think this is a great opportunity to, to introduce you and, you know, your legacy and, and the time that you were at the club to a lot of other 
listeners and players and supporters that perhaps don't know about you as well. So I'm, you know, thrilled to have you on the podcast. Straight off the bat, Chuck, I, I must ask you about your nickname and just uh, find out where you got this from, who gave it you. Yeah, it's not as exciting as what many might think. And uh, perhaps a few nights after uh, too many beers at the flower pot, it could have been used in that reference. But it was actually named, I was named after. Uh, Chuck Berry, the American singer who passed away a few years ago. Uh, when I first started playing cricket in country Victoria, one of the one of the elder guys said, "Oh, let's hope he's as good at cricket as what he was as uh, you know singing and playing the guitar." And to be honest, I didn't even know who Chuck Berry was. But uh, as legend grows and I grew older, I, I come to know that Chuck Berry was a famous singer out of America. So that's the story behind it. And and then look, I suppose it just stuck and. Uh, yeah, I became known as Chuck throughout the rest of my career. Or as you Englishmen, in particular, the captain of the club who I lived with, he couldn't quite get it out correctly, and it was Chuck. Uh, couldn't, <laughs> it wasn't quite Chuck. It was Chuck. I said, no, it's Chuck, and he said, it's Chuck. So that was just a little bit of fun we had. As a as a non Cheshire uh, original, having been uh, brought up somewhere else in the country, I I often am abused, frankly, by members of the club for the way I pronounce things. Uh, so <laughs> you know, there we go. Um, you mentioned obviously a, a little bit about your sort of early cricketing career there and and, and clubs. Do you, do you want to tell us anything about your early cricketing memories and perhaps who your first club was? Yeah, look, I grew up in country Victoria, and um, uh, my parents were fairly old when they had me. I had. Uh, two older brothers and sisters, but they were a long way between me, 17 years, in fact, between myself and the next brother. So in, in essence, I grew up with elderly parents in country Victoria and probably like a lot of young Australian kids, I, I tried my hand at every sport. And the two that I was probably better at, I suppose, were cricket and Australian rules football. Uh, long story short, because I want to talk about Macclesfield, but you know they were the two that I hoped uh, I could play at the highest level. Uh, I played league under-19 football at the St Kilda Football Club, but my little fat legs, I probably wasn't a fast enough runner, and uh, eventually cricket chose me, uh, selected in the Australian under-19s, or sorry, Victorian under-16s, under-19s, etc. going on uh, through the years, and then from there... Um, you know, chase my cricketing dreams. Fantastic. And now I know you're very, very keen to to talk about Macclesfield predominantly, but I must just um, kind of mention a few things about your, your playing career from Australia. Obviously, uh, you play first-class cricket for two states. Do you want to tell us which states? Yeah, I made my debut for um, South Australia. There's a bit of a story about that because I'm very much a Victorian, grew up in Victoria, and I got an opportunity when I finished high school to go to the Australian Cricket Academy in Adelaide. And again, long story short, at the end of the 12 months in Adelaide, the captain of South Australia, David Hooks, he actually suggested I stay in Adelaide. And I played one season for South Australia before coming home to Melbourne and then um, played 15 years for Victoria. So South Australia was where I made my debut. And I, and I look back with fond memories. There were some wonderful cricketers in that team, David Hooks being the captain, uh, Peter Sleep, Tim May, Darren Lehman. It was a pretty good lineup. But I wanted to play for Victoria and I came home to Victoria in 1990, unfortunately, at the passing of my father. Um, my dad died when I was fairly young and I come home to be with my mum, who was sort of crippled with arthritis and, and I wanted to play for Victoria. So that's probably a little bit of the background. And that was late 80s, early 90s. Uh, and then on the back of that, you know, I started a first-class career behind the stumps for Victoria, which panned 15 seasons, captained the state and, you know, had some... Some wonderful memories along the way but as i said in the early 90s and probably what we're to talk about tonight most of the time anyway is 
uh, my winter, which was your summer, 1992 and 1993 at the Macclesfield Cricket Club. Before we get on to Mac, I'd, I do think it would be right, and I know our listeners would, would like to hear some of a few bits of stats and, and information about you, your Australian career. So you played 153 first-class matches. You scored 4,273 runs with 400s, 1150s, and a higher score of 166 not out. Predominantly, I, I would imagine you, you still always refer to yourself as, as a wicketkeeper, and um, during your career, you took 552 catches with 51 stumpings. As I mentioned in your introduction, Darren, you are widely regarded as uh, one of the best glovemen of your generation. You were a teammate of the great Shane Warne at Victoria, um, who I believe is also one of your, your great mates. Firstly, what can you, you tell us about sort of keeping keeping to, to Warney? We were great mates. Uh, we are great mates to this day. Uh, quite ironically, I spoke with him last night. And as you know, um, I, I'm doing my own podcast at the moment with a couple of friends. And uh, Shane Warne is actually going to be our guest on our show next week. So I look forward to that. But we same age, same passions. We both played football. We both started our careers together, if you like, for Victoria. So there was a lot of sort of uh, synergy between us. And then, of course, wicketkeeper and spinner. Uh, that's always important. So we had a good relationship from uh, being youngsters. And, you know, again, we, we could talk for hours tonight, but Shane Warne went on to become the greatest spin bowler in my eyes that's ever played the game. There's obviously debate uh, with, with the great Murali, but uh, I would say as a leg spinner, what he did was change the craft in this country and around the world. I'll never forget 1993 standing up at Old Trafford in the commentary, in the um, media box, standing behind the bowler's arm. It's a memory I always talk about when Shane Warne bowled that ball to Mike Gatting, his first ball in Test cricket in England, and everyone knows the story. Well, I was playing at Macclesfield in 1993. I was at Old Trafford with, with my good mate, Andrew Towell, who was a captain, and I happened to be up in the media box when Warney come on to bowl. And to be there when he bowled that ball to Gatting, which has obviously made him uh, a lot of money over the years and some great storytelling. Uh, you know, the legend of Warren was probably born right then. But to his eternal credit, you know, and he come to visit us at Macclesfield and he come and stayed at Towley's house. And I know Shane Warren, perhaps like a lot of people don't know, and there's a lot of myth and perception about him. He's, he's made a couple of mistakes along the way. He admits that. But uh, he's been a, a loyal friend to me. Uh, and we've stayed close forever. We we worked in the Indian Premier League together. He got me that job. He was the coach at the Rajasthan Royals. He took me as his assistant coach. Uh, he's created a lot of openings for me and remained a loyal friend. And I'm proud to say that I'm good friends with the greatest bowler of all time. So that's just a little bit of history between Warney uh, and myself. Well, the uh, the other thing I did want to talk about very, very briefly before we get on to Mac, there's one particular stumping I, I would like to ask you about, which is a pretty famous stumping. You can view it on YouTube and perhaps for, for, for Mac players have not seen it, I'll, I'll put a link up in uh, for those to see. But this is a stumping off, off Paul Rifle, which I'm, I'm sure you'll be very, very familiar with. Do you, do you want to just, just tell us about that stumping? Um, to set the scene, for those that, that haven't seen it, Chuck is standing up to, to Paul Rifle, who I don't think was bowling particularly slowly and effects one of the quickest leg side stumpings you will ever see in your life. Um, but yeah, Chuck, tell us about it. Oh, Miles, you're making me sound good, mate. Uh, it's a long time ago, but yes, I mean, I suppose one. it's very interesting, and I know we will get to Mac, but I, I came to Macclesfield to improve my batting, to be perfectly honest, and we'll talk about that a little later. I, I actually don't think, I mean, it's a long time ago now, I don't think I kept as well as what I could have at Macclesfield, 
I was probably more focused on the batting. I'll get back to the rifle thing. Um, but I looked, at, you know, when you said you were going to do this podcast, I sort of got my old scrapbooks out. And I actually saw that in the first year, which was a great year for me batting-wise, I actually took 42 dismissals uh, behind the stumps from Macclesfield in that year. So, you know, I always look back and think, gee, I did really well with the bat, but I probably didn't keep that well at Macclesfield. And I thought, well, 42 dismissals in the year, maybe I'm being a bit harsh. I was always, from a young age, someone that stood up to the stumps to the medium paces, which is very much an English thing. And some of my childhood heroes, Alan Knott, Bob Taylor, um, you know, they were great over the top of the stumps. Colin Metzen at Glamorgan was another one I admired. Um, it was always something that I did. And uh, the day you're talking about, David Boone just happened to be the, the uh, batsman for Tasmania. And uh, I told Paul Rifle I was coming up to the stumps and I was going to stump him down the leg side. It was the over before lunch. It'd be fair to say Paul Rifle was not that impressed to think that this little fat wicketkeeper was going to stand up over the top. Because no fast bowler ever wants the wicketkeeper to stand up. As, I mean, the great Andrew Tao, which was, I mean, he was venomous in his time as captain of Macclesfield, bowling off the wrong foot with the worst bowling action I'd ever seen and bowling about 68 kilometres going backwards. He even got offended when I stood up to the stumps to him. Paul Rifle was uh, very upset. And uh, as, as you've kindly suggested, and it is on YouTube, and it gets a fair bit of a run every now and again, uh, the bowler rifle bowled it beautifully. It was a couple of balls before the luncheon break. Uh, slipped down the leg side, past David Boone's uh, legs and thigh pad. And, you know, I collected it uh, neatly down the leg side and whipped off the bales. And it happened to, to be out. And it got a lot of press because it was stood up the stumps to an opening bowler. And Paul Rifle was, wasn't Brett Lee's pace, but he was, you know, high 130s. Uh, get into the 140. So it's probably one that got a lot of um, lot of media coverage. Definitely. And as I say, for those that haven't seen it, you can either find it or I'll I'll drop a link somewhere because it's uh, it's really worth seeing. And uh, Chuck is is downplaying actually how good it is, uh, which is his right. So we we, we won't uh, we won't criticise him for it. Now we've been talking about Macclesfield, and we keep saying we're going to get to talk about Mac. And I think now is now is the time, Chuck. So do you want to tell us how you came to play your cricket for Macclesfield? I was uh, surprisingly drinking beer at the MCG during a Ashes Test match. Surely not. Andrew Tal, who was the captain of Macclesfield at the time, was in Australia. I'd not, I'd not met Towley before uh, with one of his mates, Roland Horridge, I think was with him from Chorley Cricket Club a bit further north. And they were just out here on a, on a trip and they had some connections. And Towley was on the lookout, I didn't know at the time, to, to take back an overseas for Macclesfield. And, you know, as it turned out, a few beers led to, uh, you know, you'll come and play for us. And it started off as a bit of a, a, bit of a joke. And Towley actually had a guy in Sydney that he was going to see as well because they did the Melbourne test and the Sydney test. I can't remember his first name, which is bad. And I know his last name was Thorpe. It wasn't Ian Thorpe. It might have been Jeff Thorpe or Graham. I should remember that name. Towley was on his way to Sydney to link up with this guy because in the past, um, Phil Emery, a New South Wales wicketkeeper, had played at Macclesfield before I played there. And uh, that was sort of the connection. But as it turned out, we sort of pretty much by the time Towley left the MCG test, I was all but signed to come and play at Macclesfield the next year. So I felt sorry for the boy in Sydney that missed the opportunity. But uh, a chance meeting turned into a great friendship. I come over there and I lived with Towley for two years, which was 
interesting. And uh, the guys like Danny Ackerley and uh, the people that I hung around with a fair bit will know what I'm talking about. I said we had fun on the field. Well, boy, did we have some fun off the field. And Towley's little shack out there in Mottram St Andrew. Um, we had some good nights and headed across to Alderley Edge a fair bit. If it wasn't the flower pot in Mac on Sunday afternoon, we uh, we certainly gave Alderley Edge a good run. I've got to say, and some people criticise Towley, his passion and his love for Macclesfield Cricket Club was unbelievable. And that's what got me over there. And it started a lifelong friendship. And uh, we still, you know, he was in my wedding party. There we go. That's how close our friendship became. So he remains a great friend. Well, I've been uh, I've been reliably informed by a certain Towley on a couple of things. But the first is... Oh, no. Yeah. No, no, no. This is a cricket one. Don't worry. Um, yeah. I've I've been reliably informed by by Tally and a number of other players actually that you you revolutionised the kind of training and preparation that the team were carrying out on your arrival. How did you find uh, how did you find Mac on your arrival in terms of kind of how they were operating? And I believe you you hate the word net is something that's been mentioned to me. Yeah, I, I need to be diplomatic now, I suppose, in my old age. And look. I've got to be, I'll just be brutally honest. I mean, I, I was young and ambitious. You know, I was early 20s when I came across there. What did I, I don't, 20, 21 years of age, thinking back now. I was pretty young and, you know, pretty confident, pretty brash. Uh, you know, some of the things that we got up to, I probably regret, to be honest. I certainly don't regret the, the fun and the success that we had. But when I arrived, it would be fair to say that I was fairly underwhelmed with the training standard at Macclesfield Cricket Club the level of commitment required that I felt to be good at any level. And I think it would also be fair to say perhaps when I started to encourage the boys to do fielding practice instead of pint uh, drinking pint practice, that I might have got a few even of my own teammates at Macclesfield offside because if you like, um, Miles, it was, well, that's not how we do it around here. There was there was a bit of that vibe, to be honest, when I first got there. Mm-hmm. And a couple of the old stages, and, and I won't name their names because they were good blokes and they'd been good cricketers, but I think they thought, mm, this maybe isn't for us. But the ones that actually jumped on board, and there was plenty of them, uh, yep, I pushed them pretty hard and... In essence, I, I maybe became coach of the club without being coach of the club, if that makes sense. And, yep. you know, I mean, uh, the Danny Ackerley and um, Rick Shenton and Kimmy Graham was an outstanding young batsman. And, and then Alfie, Alfie Garnett and um, Steve Moores were very good cricketers. Both of them were top cricketers. But again, I reckon I would like to think that I maybe helped them become even better cricketers. We had plenty of young kids. Matty Stevens was another one that stood out to me looking through some names when I was looking through the scrapbook and tried to make them understand, well, if we want to be good, if you want to win, we need to actually prepare. And I had a little bit of a saying, which was a bit of a cliche, but I kept saying to them, if you fail to prepare, you prepare to fail. And uh, we got set to work. It took a while to win a few of them over. And I reckon we trained harder than any other team. We, we did fielding practice. And you know what? It, it actually it paid off. It no doubt it paid off because we became a really really good team. And you know to win two titles in a row and two cups in a row, that's something that I'm enormously proud of. And you know I can't wait to get back to Macclesfield one day and have a beer at the club rooms and and hopefully see a couple of those photos up on the wall. If they're not there, we need to get them up there because winning league trophies two years in a row was something special. I did speak to Towley about this, as, as you can well imagine. And one of the things that he, he said, and, and just adding into the, to the point that you've just made about training, he said that obviously when you arrived, uh, training, well, 
it was a few blokes having a net and a pint, yeah. as you describe it. And he said, you hated the word nets and you always said it was training. But he said, you know, exactly what you've said. A few, a few blokes, let's say, maybe weren't that engaged in the idea. But he said by the end of the season, they were regularly having 30 blokes to training each week. And, and he said the, the enjoyment that, you know, everyone felt from that was reflected very much on the field in terms of the fielding and obviously in the achievements of the team in the two seasons you were there. We, we trained hard and we played hard. And as I yeah, no doubt, initially there was resistance. There's always resistance if someone tries to do something different. But once they saw that I was there for the real deal and I really wanted to win and, and I wanted them, more importantly, to share in the wins, it became infectious. It really did. And, and they jumped on board and we started to win games. And, you know, I know as an introduction to this podcast because I've listened to a few and the hairs on the back of my neck stand up listening to the original Mac lad singing the song. But then for us to, you know, Rick Shenton, Danny Ackley, myself, um, you know, put together the, the Mac lad song and the weekend is coming and it's time to play cricket and time to have a laugh and, you know, all that. that to hear those words and hear the boys singing it, that is also something that I'm enormously proud of that we not only won cricket, we had fun, we, we actually left a little bit of a legacy and here we are, you know, almost 30 years on and uh, that song's still being sung in the club rooms. That That's something, again, that I'm enormously proud of and it was a great time. Fantastic. And as you alluded to earlier, obviously, you, you are incredibly proud of the achievement of, of winning the double-double. The You've mentioned a few names from, from the team and, and from the club. What can you tell us about the team that you won all that silverware with? Well, the, my very first year, you know, Towley was the captain the two years that I, I was there. And lucky he was captain because he probably wouldn't have got a game otherwise, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. And I just say that because I know that he'll listen to this podcast. No, but he was very competitive, Towley, and it was an awkward bowling action, but it was on English wickets. He, he was hard to play at times because he stood the ball up on the seam and, you know, he, he loved cricket. He really loved the game. And that's what that's why I reckon I loved him because he loved cricket um, and it was a match made in heaven. So we had a bit of fun there. But as I said, I reckon the two outstanding cricketers were probably Steve Moores and Alfie Garnett, uh, you know, both all-rounders, Morsey a spinner and batsman, and Alfie was a fine left-handed bat and an awkward bowling action also. He had a bit of pace, Alfie, in his day. Uh, and that, I reckon they were the better cricketers. And Kim Graham in my first year, he was a young lad. He was another. He was an Aussie, but he was living over there. Uh, and I haven't got his numbers, but I know in the first year, um, when you kindly mentioned I broke the league record, Kim Graham made a lot of runs also batting at number three. Uh, Steve Hackett or Henry or Huey Hackett, as we referred to him, him and I had a lot of fun opening the batting together. It was sort of the yin and the yang, and he was a, he was a character, and obviously uh, the uncle of of Yozza, who's a bit of a club legend, and he was a good man, Yoz as well. He came into it later on, and obviously as a wicket keeper, remind me to tell you a story when I was called up to Australia and I used Yozza's gear. If Yozza's probably told you that already. I made my debut for Australia. It's on the card, don't worry. But again, thinking of more names, um, you know, uh, Bish played in that side. Pidgey bowled out swingers. He was good. Mark Olston was sort of, he's probably one of the older guys that fell away, but he had ability. Um, young Matty Stevens. I love Matty Stevens because he was an aggressive young kid. Tim Melvin. Uh, Tim Moore. But he was a good player as well. Tim Moore. They're sort of the, I hate saying it because I probably missed a name. And then a couple of older guys in, in year two. That was the mainstay of the team. 
And then uh, Holmesy was a really good bowler, an old cagey bowler who probably was past his best when I got there, but he was a bloody tough competitor. Uh, Howard Baker, I opened the batting a few times with him, and he was a nice player, but he, he was about 65 at the time, so he was getting on. Uh, I'm trying to think of other characters around the club, and, and I, they're the main names I can think of, and apologies if I've probably missed a couple, and I do apologise there. I think I said Rick Shenton in the second year. he came over from Chelford, uh, and he was a good mate of all of ours, and then Simon Ackley came across later on off the field. I just I remember, you know, Deanie, the late Deanie in the scoreboard and he used to do the reports in the Mac paper every now and again. And uh, Christine, he was a beauty. Uh, even Sheila who did the afternoon teas. They're things that I look back on with fondness now and great memories. But probably the guy that had the biggest influence on me, uh, apart from Andrew Tao. And I was going to remember a young boy. I look back now in hindsight, I was 21 and, you know, living on the other side of the world. Whilst I put this brash confidence on us and having fun, uh, there was another guy called Alan Sherritt, or as we know him, Mr. Blobby. Blobby took me under his wing, and it was a big wing too to get under, uh, and, mate, he looked after me. He was he was like my father. Yeah, he took me and we played golf, and he used to take me out for dinner, and, you know, ne- never would he would he let me shout. Uh, and whilst Towley was very um, wealthy and very, you know, he had a lot of money, Andrew Tow through his family business that had been hugely successful in Macclesfield in M6 Papers. Um, Alan Sherritt, um, and again, I'm not saying wasn't wealthy, but uh, he didn't have to do that. You know, Blobby put himself out and uh, he was he was a great friend. So Blobby Sherritt was someone that I look back on now. And when my mum came over to visit, my mum was, was ageing and she was ill. Blobby and Eileen looked after my mum as well. And, and I'm getting a bit emotional now because they were great times and great memories. And um, I look back with fondness and I... I was really looking forward, Miles, to, I know I'm going on because I'm passionate about this in the two years I had. I was really looking forward to coming over this year. I don't know if our listeners would know this, but I was coming over as Shane Warne's assistant coach of the London Spirit for the London 100. And part of the deal was my family was coming with me, my three children that don't know anything about Macclesfield. You know, I've got a 16-year-old daughter a 14-year-old daughter and a 12-year-old son. I was so excited to be bringing my family to Macclesfield and we'd planned to have a week to 10 days up there. And unfortunately, uh, due to this COVID uh, pandemic, that's all been cancelled. So that's a major disappointment for me. I certainly hope that the London 100 goes next year and we might have to revisit it and maybe have a 30-year reunion or something next year when I come across. Well, I, needless to say, there'll be a, an awful lot of people who'll be very excited to, to see you up in Mac and, and also, um, you know, taking part uh, as a coach in the 100. So we cross our fingers for you. Recent podcast guest and club personality, Pete Langley, has decided to get off his backside for charity. His words, not mine. He has challenged himself to run 100 kilometres in a month, having previously only ever walked from scrum to scrum, and famously only comes into bowl off four yards, when he is allowed to bowl, I might add. He's undertaking this challenge in aid of Parkinson's UK, which is a charity very close to his and his family's heart. The charity supports families in improving the quality of life for sufferers of Parkinson's. Many people will also be aware that Nick Burtis's father battled Parkinson's and passed away two years ago. In the current climate, with cancellations to events such as the London Marathon, many charities have been hit hard, so any donations to this fantastic cause would be gratefully appreciated. You can find out more by searching Langer's 100k 
on justgiving.com. Now, just bringing it back to a, a little bit of cricket here in your time at yep. Mac, I thought it would be fun to talk about some numbers and some stats. Unfortunately, as I say on many of the podcasts, play cricket is, is not always the most reliable. And certainly, unfortunately, it does not go back this far. So my my, <laughs> my, my numbers are limited. However, um, you have kindly helped me collect uh, a good few. So in the 1992 season, in your first season, you scored 1,298 runs which was a league record. You scored 500s, and as you said, you took 42 dismissals. In 1993, uh, you came back, and, and as you alluded to earlier, you came back for that second season. You scored 1,102 runs, and you averaged 78, scoring 200s. Now, the one thing I don't think we've mentioned about yet is is actually that you weren't initially going to be coming back for that second season, were you? Correct, and I wasn't because I was obviously established uh, in the Victorian side, and to be brutally honest, the Victorian coach was not, uh, whilst he knew that I'd done well at Macclesfield and made runs and it was good for my game, I think I might have put on about 12 kilos at Macclesfield, the pints at the flower pot and Brazingamans and Old Lee Edge and yesterday's and all the old night spots we used to haunt and Wine Bar 15 or as Andrew Tao calls it, Wine Bar 51. He'll be having a laugh at that. Whilst I trained hard and we played hard, we certainly party hard as well, and it probably wasn't conducive to my overall fitness as a first-class cricketer. Uh, at the time, I didn't see that, but my state coach didn't want me to come, basically. And I'd teed up another guy who played a bit of first-class cricket called Darren Ramshaw. He was going to come over in 93 as a replacement. Long story short, at the last minute, he let the club down, changed his mind. I can't even remember why. He might have split up with his girlfriend or something. And he pulled the pin, and the season was upon us. Um, now, I haven't got an exact memory, but I, I felt so bad that the club it was too late to get an overseas player. So I thought, stuff it, I'm, I'm going. So I, against my state coach's wishes, I jumped on the plane and I came over in 93. You know, you'd have to check this, Miles, it probably doesn't matter. But I reckon I missed... I might have missed the first couple of games because of trying to get organised. I believe you missed the first three games, but that is the memory of somebody else. So, you know, that that's probably about right. And... You know, kindly, you're coming back to my stats, 1,298 in the first year. Enormously proud of that and broke the record for the most runs ever with 500s. I missed three games the second year and got 1,102. And, you know, I think, well, if I'd have played those three games and, you know, I might have knocked off my previous record, but we'll never know that. And, um, you know, certainly don't want tonight to be absolutely about me. I'm proud of the record. I'm proud of what we did and some innings that I certainly remember. But, the thing that, as I said from the outset tonight, uh, the thing I'm mostly proud of is the success we had as a team. And I certainly hope the things that I may have passed on to some of those cricketers that I played with. Absolutely. There are there are a couple of games and, and a few little stories that I now want to talk about. And I'm sure you've got some that you, you want to regale us with. But there, there are a couple of games um, that I'd, I'd like to bring up. Firstly, uh, I think it's fair to say you, you seem to rather enjoy playing Poynton. <laughs> Having scored 166 against them in your first year, you then followed that up with 196 against them in your second year, which at the time was the, the highest score by a batsman in, in the league. I believe there's there's a rather good story involving a late night phone call to, to, uh, to a <laughs> member of the Poynton team before for this 196. Do you, do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, it's ta- it was Tally's fault again, I reckon. I mean, I would—I was an innocent young kid and Tally led me astray. Uh, I don't know who was leading who astray, but 
Look, we had a really big rivalry with Poynton, but also I would say a healthy respect at the time. It wasn't a hatred. It was a, it was a, we wanted to get one up on them. And mainly because a lot of them were mates. As I said, Danny Ackley was at Macclesfield, but Simon Ackley was at Poynton, the brothers, and they became great friends of mine. Uh, and then a couple of other good mates who were very good cricketers, Ian Middlehurst and Brian Kingham, uh, were the two gun batsmen also at Poynton. And then they had a couple of really good bowlers in Charlie Lamb, fast bowler, and um, uh, I think it was Dave Watkins, a spinner. So, you know, they were always big games, and I was really pumped up to make sure that I did well against them. And in that first year when I scored 166, you know, I was pretty happy with myself, and, and we pumped them, obviously. Uh, and then the second year, yeah, the late-night phone call, I don't know what went wrong. I'm probably not proud of it, but, gee, it was funny at the time. And I don't know whether it was just one, but I reckon I phoned the captain, which might have been Brian Kingham, in the wee small hours of the morning. Tally and I had just probably come home from a night out in Old Lee Edge again. And for some reason, we thought it'd be a good idea to wake up the point and captain and tell him that we were going to absolutely shit all over them the next day. And in my confident Australian, stupid, brash manner, I said to him, and on top of that, I'm going to make 200 against you tomorrow. Well, it'd be fair to say he was less than impressed with the wake-up call, less than impressed with my tone, and less with, than impressed with this arrogant Aussie telling you he's going to make 200 the next day. Well, as it turned out with a hangover, I let myself down because I only made 196. <laughs> <laughs> Talking of rivalries, I, I believe you also had quite a heated rivalry oh. with Upton Cricket Club. In, in particular, a rather portly gentleman uh, called Billy firstly and and also a chap who was a bit of a dead ringer for the late great Dudley Moore Dudley Moore yeah, so yes. so what firstly what, what can you tell us about the incident with Billy and then Dudley Moore well you're bringing back some wonderful memories maybe not for the Upton Cricket Club uh, we traveled there quite often when we went to away games we would go in Towley had about 15 cars with the business, and one of them was we called the Space Cruiser, the Blue Deem, the Blue Space Cruiser, and we would get regularly. Towley would drive there but never drive home. Danny Ackley was a regular. Uh, Rick Shenton was a regular in, in that car, and there was others. There was others. The young kids would jump on. We'd get about eight crammed into the Space Cruiser for the away trip. <laughs> uh, and on the way there, cause I was deadly serious about my cricket. There was no shenanigans. But always the trip home was eventful. Well, playing at Upton, uh, yep, you mentioned Billy. And uh, yes, he was physically challenged, let's just say that. And uh, from behind the stumps whilst he was batting, I perhaps gave him some advice uh, about his diet. And uh, maybe he'd been to too many kebab shops. Uh, I'm cleaning this up for our audience, obviously. <laughs> you can imagine what a smart-ass Australian might have been saying. But it was somewhere along those lines about Billy's uh, less than physical shape to play the game. Portly state. Uh, but he was, <laughs> yeah, portly state was well put by you. Uh, and then Dudley Moore. Uh, I mean, probably the best way to sum it up is I just absolutely gave it to him. Absolutely gave it to them to the point where the umpires had to intervene and Towley as captain had to come over to me. And this is a true story. Towley would stand a metre away from me, pointing his finger, shaking his finger at me, you know, so the umpire felt that the captain was actually telling me off, which was very good leadership from Andrew. 
The only problem was, as he was shaking his finger at me, telling me off for my poor behaviour, he was saying, do not stop what you're doing and make sure we get back in time for last orders at Brzingerman's in Old Lee Edge. Do you understand? And he's pointing his finger at me and I'm nodding my head like, yes, I'm out of order. Whilst he was giving the message, do not stop this. This is fun. Keep sledging them and make sure we're back for last. Well, it became folklore. Every time an umpire said, can you shut up that big mouth Australian, Taylor would come and point his finger and give me instructions. The umpire thought he was telling me off. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Andrew, for taking control of the situation. I would go quiet for about one over. Uh, and then revert back to poor behaviour again. I spoke to Tally about these couple of stories, and there's a, there's a couple of bits of information I, I just want to, or, well, sides to the story, I want to fill in. So the first was that uh, you kept doing this to Billy, and eventually, after the 97th time that you'd sent something to him, and he kept backing away and complaining, yep. and then the finger wag came out, Apparently, he had an almighty great hoik across the line and, and was out, much to the merriment of everybody yes. um, in the style of, of, you know, Tino Best and Andrew Flintoff. The other thing is that apparently Dudley Moore, when he came out and you, you were just <laughs> absolutely giving it to him, apparently you were saying, oh, you know, get a short leg in, this bloke, this bloke, this bloke can't bat, bring a, a short cover in here, he's going to chip it in the air. And apparently this is even before he got to the crease. And yes. apparently in between overs, Dudley stood on your boot with his stud and twisted it into your foot, Correct. which caused, Correct. Uh, caused a little bit of a ruckus. Now, I'm right in saying that Upton then, after the game, which he subsequently won for the record, after the game, they complained, wrote an official letter to, to the club, to our chairman and to the league, complaining about this. Um, and it, there was all uh, a bit of bad blood over this issue. Towley tells me, you mentioned the, the Mac Lad song, but he, he, meant, he told me that there's another song which was, adap- there is. Which, which was adapted from an Elvis Presley song, which is, of course, Return to Sender. Miles, can I take it up at that point? Because I know where you're going and thank you for reminding me i can't sing but i'm not shy and driving home as i mentioned the space cruiser we did it'd be fair to say we left up to not very popular they were not happy with our behavior and the main instigator was myself i actually felt sorry for guys like stewie garnett and um and morsey because they were good cricketers but at times they were probably not too in doubt you know happy with the, the little australian's behavior and I did push the boundaries in gamesmanship and the Upton crew, and I think their captain might have been a copper from, from memory, to be honest. I used to have a great memory. I, can't, I can see him, a big, big, strong lad. Tally will remember when he listens to this. Anyway, long story short, we did get the Elvis song, uh, Return to Sender. Uh, we modified the words. Danny Ackley used to do wonderful Elvis impersonations. And uh, basically it became, you know, that up the return to Upton, and when they wrote the letter, we started singing it. Return that letter to, we, well, it went like this: Got a letter from the postman. We put it in Alfie's sack, and bright and early next morning, the letter came bouncing back. We wrote upon it: Return to Upton, boom, 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 boom. address unknown. No such number. Well, this went on and on and on. And apologies to all our listeners. I had to try and sing it to remember what we did 30 years ago. But that was the story. Elvis Presley said, return to Upton. Well, it became a bit of a theme song. After we'd sing the MacLag songs winning, 
we would quite often break into a return to Upton as well. So. Well, Towley demanded that I uh, I ask you to sing the song, frankly, because he couldn't remember some of the words. But he said, make sure you get Chuck to sing the song. And I, I didn't even have to ask you. Uh, so there we are. Now, Chuck, uh, you mentioned, obviously, that you, you got married, um, and I believe in 1997, and, and you actually returned back to England uh, for your honeymoon. We did. Spent a bit of time at the club, doing some coaching, visiting your former teammates, um, and I'm sure having uh, having a, a few drinks and, and visiting a few of the old haunts. During this time, you were actually called up by the Australian national team, um, and I thought it would be great for you to tell us about uh, how this came about and, and, and perhaps a couple of amusing uh, stories from this situation. Yep, yeah, well, you're absolutely right. Um Honeymooning, we used England as a base and we went over to Spain. Um, uh, again, I think Towley's got one of his uh, many condominiums around the world and one of them was in Spain. Uh, we went there and uh, stayed for a little while and we went to Italy. So we used England as the base. I was doing a little bit of coaching at Macclesfield and helping out the lads. I was on my honeymoon. Now, this was a bloody tough call, Miles, as you would imagine and many of our female listeners to this podcast have um, Called up to the Ashes to squad in 97. The test was at Old Trafford. It was about the third test from memory. And Adam Gilchrist got injured. He was the reserve wicketkeeper to Ian Healy. And I got a phone call. Um, now, my memories, I should be better. But I know we were either playing Warrington that day. I always tell the story in Australia that I was actually at the Warrington Cricket Club. But if the truth be known, I was actually at Towley's house. And we'd either just on our way to Warrington or coming home. But Mac would play Warrington. And I remember the Warrington wicket was always very hard, flat, you know, an absolute belter when I played anyway. Warrington's wicket was very hard. Um, and, you know, we were looking forward to the game. I got the phone call from the Australian team manager to say that Gilchrist had broken down. I thought it was one of, I thought it was one of the lads that taking the piss out of me. I thought it was a joke. I didn't think it was serious. And, you know, I sort of said something smart back. And the, and the gentleman said, Darren, it's Alan Crompton, manager of the Australian cricket team. We need you to report to Old Trafford tomorrow morning. You've been added to the Australian squad. Well, my dream had come true. Um, and I say this at Sportsman's Night sort of half-heartedly. It was a tough decision because I was on my honeymoon. Well, I phoned Manchester Airport and got my wife on the next flight out of Manchester back to back to Melbourne. And uh, I spent five weeks travelling with the Aussies on that 97 Ashes tour. And uh, it was a great experience. Five weeks I spent trying to break Ian Healy's hand so I could get a <laughs> test match. It didn't happen. Uh, I got a green baggy cap. I played five games. You know, I played the games in between. I played at Kent and I played at uh, John Paul Getty's game. And, um, you know, I played several of the county matches, but I never played a test match. And that was as close as I got. But what an what a ironic experience or an omen that I was at Macclesfield when I was actually called into the Australian team. I thought there was some synergy and some irony almost in that. You know, the green baggy cap is something that's held in high esteem in this country. And, you know, I'm sitting in my study at the moment and I've got it sitting up above my computer there. And it's a memory I'll always have. Um, Towley came down to London um, when the test match was on down there. And, uh, you know, we've got photos and stuff like that. So, again, great memories. 97, uh, Ashes 2 are called in whilst I was in essence, on duty at Macclesfield. Now, the the couple of slightly amusing things that I wanted to uh, ask you about with regards to this fantastic achievement is that I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, in, in your first game 
that you played, uh, whether it be for a county or a t- you know tour <laughs> match. Um, yep. I believe a lot, a few of the Mac lads uh, came up to watch the game and and had signs saying "Berry is a Mac lad" and they were shouting and singing songs while you were keeping and batting and just yes. generally causing a ruckus. And the other thing that I would like you to confirm or deny is whether you took the field wearing Yoz's keeping gear. Well, you know what? Both stories true. Um, again, it's a long time ago, but to be honest, I I think the Big Mac bus tour actually came in when I was playing there in 1993. Uh, I'll come back to the Ashes, but 93, I was called up um, and I played for the World Eleven against the minor counties at Jesmond up in the north, up near Durham. And definitely Macclesfield run a bus up for that game, a big crew, uh, and definitely they were singing and they had signs on the thing, Chuck out Healy and Chuck is a Mac lad. I mean, I've got photos of that from from that time that they took, but that was in 1993 when I was playing there. Now, ironically, when I was called in in 1997 to the Ashes squad, it was during the Old Trafford test, and when the test finished, we got on a bus and we went again, ironically, up there to the same place where I'd played my um, – so that World Eleven match was against England, I beg your pardon. It was the World Eleven. I remember keeping that day, and it was Malcolm Marshall, the late, great Malcolm Marshall, Courtney Walsh, Alan Donald, Danny Morrison, Roger Harper. These were all the bowlers that I got to keep to that game against England. Uh, Neil Fairbrother from Grappinall was in that side, and Michael Atherton, Gooch, all them. That was 93. 97, I travelled up with the Australian team on the bus, ironically, to Jesmond, and I would make my Australian debut at Jesmond again, this time against the minor counties. Now, I don't think, maybe Tally and a couple of boys come up, but the bus load was actually 93. When I got called up in 97, I, I'm serious, I was on the honeymoon. So I didn't take all my keeping gear. I reckon I had my keeping gloves. Yozza might deny that, but I had nothing else. I had no gear. So, yes, uh, the great uh, P. Hughes, Yoz man, I kept for Australia with Yoz's pads on. That is a fact. And uh, I don't think I wore his keeping gloves. I reckon I had my keeping gloves there from from memory. But Yoz's keeping pads made their debut for Australia. <laughs> Can you confirm or deny whether you, you shared a sweaty box with Yoz or is that going too far? Uh, I reckon it's going too far and uh, I honestly can't remember. But I reckon, and again, I know this is a family show, so we've got to sort of keep it clean. But I, I, I reckon Yoz's box would have been too small for me. I might have had to go and buy one at the shop because <laughs> Yoz still wears a youth's, youth's at, uh, box. So I had to get the senior men's edition. <laughs> Very, very good. Are there any other kind of stories or, or incidents you'd, you'd like to talk about from your time in Mac? Oh, do you, have we got a few hours? I mean, you know, <laughs> you've, you've probably covered off the main ones, I suppose. The Upton debacle, which became folklore, the rivalry with Point, and we've spoken about. Um, there was plenty, you know, we got kicked out at Witness one night. Towley was out of order and he had his karaoke. He used to take his karaoke microphone with him. And Towley was good fun until he'd had more than six pints and then he became obnoxious. <laughs> he'd put his tie around his head and he didn't win many friends. And, you know, I was the quiet Australian that had to drag him out of these situations, as you would imagine. And I reckon we got shuffled out of witness one night into the space cruiser. We did a pub crawl on the way home. I mean, there was just so many. I really felt sorry for the blokes that we played with that had steady girlfriends 
and for someone like Henry Hackett, and and I, I mean, I love these his first wife, and they're no longer together. Obviously, we don't want to go over old ground, but gee, I got them in a lot of trouble, those boys, because you know I demanded when we won that we would drink beer together. We worked hard for this, boys. We have to go for a pint, and one pint never becomes one pint. So I probably take responsibility for a couple of separations and divorces of the Macclesfield Cricket Club of 92 and 93. <laughs> um, some of them survived, but some of them didn't. And, uh, you know, we, we just had so much fun on and off the field. Pete and Mersey was another one, and I'll bring that name up and people will probably shudder. Again, I was innocent in this one, like most of the stories. And we had some arguments with Heat and Mersey at their ground. And long story short, as we left the ground, that space cruise has got a lot to answer for because we, I actually think we lost this game, to be honest. I think we lost. I should have checked this. I reckon we got beaten by Heat and Mersey. And their wicket keeper was louder than me, Roper, behind the stumps. Um, and they were giving it to us that, you know, we were no good or whatever. As we left, now again, I'm innocent in this. I don't know what happened. But somehow the space cruiser went from the car park across the middle of the Heat and Mersey Oval in front of their uh, club rooms. It was full of people. And the space cruiser found its own driver. And it, I reckon it did a couple of wheelies on the outfield at Heat and Mersey and drove out the, out, the, out the car park. It'd be fair to say that didn't go down too well either. Oh, yeah. I can only imagine that. Danny Ackerley was definitely in the car. That's all I'll say. I think he might have been driving at the time. I mean, he was, you know, in the constabulary at the time. He was known as Dan, 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 the town centre man. Never have I seen a man do such less work working for the establishment. He, he, his job used to be wander around the streets of Macclesfield to make sure everything was in order. All he was doing then was checking in on all the good looking chicks and all the shops in Macclesfield and having coffee <laughs> with all of them. Dan Dan, the town centre man. I mean, give me a break. That was a joke. Uh, he was a bad influence. Uh, Andrew Tao was just, a, he was a terrible influence. And Alfie Garnett, he was probably the worst of all. I mean, he, I know he's a respected figure at the club. He was out of control, Alfie, in those days. I mean, absolutely. There was only so many lemon squashes or apple ciders uh, with no alcohol that he could drink. <laughs> Well, I must I must tell you, um, and I, hopefully you'll be thrilled to know this, that Alfie and, and Steve Moores still do occasionally make uh, appearances on a Saturday and are, and are still playing. Alfie a little bit more than Steve. Steve, you have to really twist his arm and be very short, but um, Alfie, is, Alfie is never too far away from, uh, from getting loose, let's put it that way. They were both very good cricketers, and I'd like to think very good friends, but they were, well, Alfie was the... You know, poll the exact opposite to Tally and myself. We were out of control. Uh, we were mad. Alfie was sensible. Morsey had that element in him, but you had to really drag it out. Morsey was pretty, I used to call him uh, the poker game. You never knew where his cards were. He kept them very close to his chest, Morsey. And he was a hard man to read. But occasionally, he'd let his guard down. And if we could tip three or four into him, he would then come out of his shell. And that was the Steve Moores that I, that I really liked. I went on to become pretty good mates with his brother, who was obviously coach of England. We used to have a few catches together, um, Pete, when he was around Mac. But, yeah, Morsey was a very good cricketer, very competitive. But he probably, and he would admit this, I'd like to think that he would say Chuck was great for the club. But, uh, you know, I, I reckon at times he probably shook his head and thought, oh, Chuck might have gone a little bit too far this time. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, there we are. There, uh, Chuck. There are there are a few other things I'd I'd like to cover just before we sort of get yep. towards the end of the podcast here. Since you're you're sort of playing retirement, you've established yourself um, as a well respected coach. Um, as you mentioned, you've coached in the IPL and the Big Bash, and obviously um, state cricket in Australia. How did you find the the sort of transition from playing to coaching latterly? Yep, uh, good question. And I found it difficult initially because I'd always been, as you've probably heard tonight. Uh, too much one of the boys I trained hard and I played hard and when I became a coach one of my mentors said to me you're now the coach of the team you are setting the agenda you're setting the example and initially the break away from you know not being able to go to the flower pot or to uh, the flag hotel where Morsey used to go you know, Towley and I, we terrorised Old Liege. That was our go-to. Towley lived in Mottram St Andrew, who still does. And we would go to Old Liege and um, we terrorised, absolutely terrorised. Well, when you become a coach, that's probably not the way to go. It took me a little bit initially because I sort of pretty much went from playing. Uh, I had one year off. I had one year out of the game when my first daughter was born and my wife thought finally she had me. Uh, and then for the next 10 years, I went coaching all around the world again. So she's put up with a fair bit over a time, in fairness, and stuck with me through thick and thin. Um, coaching has its challenges. I really love it. And I suppose even from those early days at Macclesfield, without knowing it, as I said to you earlier in this podcast, I reckon I was coach of Macclesfield without even being appointed coach. Mm-hmm. And that was always in me. I mean, I, I captained a lot of teams I played in. I captained the state for a long period of time. So coaching was a natural progression for me. Um, I like teaching people and I've been lucky enough to be associated with some wonderful players around the world and coach some of the great players. So I've loved it, but I can say this, it's nothing like playing. You don't get the same buzz as being out there in the competition as you do as a coach. It's different, it's still good, but it's very different being a coach. Mm Uh, a former overseas of, of Macclesfield, uh, Nick Ross, um, remembers you from yes. his early days at uh, Carlton Cricket Club, who we, we have an association with. Um, he he mentioned the fact that, you know, there was a bit of a change in the, in the guard when, when you came in to coach at Carlton. And he said uh, one of the things that he remembers um, particularly is, is you instilling an absolute team values and, and work ethic um, and he, he says you know his words not mine that, that, that Carlton um, their, their upturn in their fortunes uh, he thinks is, is you know be fair to be linked to the beginnings of what you started when you, when you began coaching there um, is, is that something that you've you know you've always considered key to, to successful cricket teams? 100% nice words I didn't know Nick had said that um, I'll have to listen more closely to his podcast but um Look, I suppose that was something that that was instilled in me and my coach was a man called John Scholes, which not many people over there would have heard of, but he was like my mentor from when I came from country Victoria that I mentioned at the start to Melbourne to the big smoke to try and make it. John Scholes was my coach and my mentor. He coached me at club level and at state level. He was a wonderful, hard uh, state cricketer, played league football. You probably become what people instill in you and most of my parents instilled the values of you know hard work and i would say respect we've talked a lot tonight how i showed a lack of respect and as i said some of that i'm not proud of but uh, i always would always go and have a beer with the opposition and for me what happened on the field stayed on the field 
And as soon as the game was done, won or lost, won or lost, I would always have a beer with the opposition. Now, sometimes when you rub people up the wrong way, and us Aussies do, uh, they didn't want to have a beer with us. But for me, you played hard on the field. You do whatever you have to do to win without being over the top. You know, not never do you push barriers of, you know, race and, uh, you know, sexual orientation, all, all that type of stuff that you don't go to. But, you know, trying to upset Billy at Upton and telling him he'd eaten too many pies and made he couldn't make runs. And for me, that was Australian gamesmanship to try and put him off his game, if you know what I'm saying. Well, as a coach, I've always been taught. And then what, what Nick said to me, and, and I think I tried to do this at Macclesfield, it, we're all in this together. We're only as strong as our weakest link. And we want to enjoy the successes and the failures as a team. I hated, and to this day, I hated playing with individuals that only cared about themselves because it is a team sport, played albeit by 11 individuals. But you've mentioned kindly my stats. And you know what? We didn't even talk about this. I reckon they didn't let me come back. Towley wanted me to come back in the third year. And the clubs actually had a rule instilled that I, you couldn't come back if you were playing first-class cricket or something in 1994. Just check that fact. And I wasn't allowed to come back, maybe partly due to the fact that I was an arsehole on the field. But it was because <laughs> I'd made so many runs that they said, uh, you know, they banned me from coming back. And, and it became a rule for a period. I don't even know what they are now, but... It, I, if you've played first-class cricket, you can't play at Macclesfield. So th that's me. That's who I am. I fight hard. I play hard. And wherever I've coached, whether it be in the IPL, at state level, for South Australia, the Adelaide Strikers, Carlton Cricket Club or Macclesfield Cricket Club, boys, we've got to win. And to win, we need to train better and harder. And we've got to do it better than the opposition. And when we win, we'll enjoy it. That's my philosophy. Fantastic. Chuck, um, before we before we wrap up the podcast, I must mention your excellent podcast, uh, Chuck Ludy and the Big Fella. You had a very special guest on, on the last episode, <laughs> uh, Mr. Tim Payne, captain of Australia, who had uh, a rather incredible story to tell. Now, I don't know whether you, you want to spoil that, uh, and hopefully the listeners will, will go over and, and listen to your podcast, but what, what do you want to tell us about the podcast? Yep, uh, thank you for the mention. It is called Chuck, Ludy and the Big Fella, and the podcast is known as Keeping It Real, which was actually a book that I wrote um, when I retired from cricket. I, I wrote a book called Keeping It Real. So we've called the podcast Keeping It Real in the fact that it is three blokes and it's very lighthearted. There's not a lot of seriousness about it. And we try to get guests on and talk about abstract things, a bit like we have tonight, not just so much about the cricket, about the other things. And all I'll say, uh, hopefully we get some listeners to the podcast out of tonight. Uh, I won't spoil the story, but Tim Payne, the Australian captain, as the ashes were about to be secured at Old Trafford when England were nine down and the dark clouds were coming, uh, I might leave it there because Tim Payne had some physical illness going on at the time and he pushed through the pain barrier. I'll let him tell you the story, but it is one of the most remarkable stories that you will ever hear from an Ashes encounter. And Tim Payne revealed it on our podcast last week. <laughs> and uh, for, for, for those that may not have either heard the story or, or listened to the podcast, I really encourage you to do so. Not just for the story, it's, it's, a, fantastic, it's a fantastic thing with Chuck, uh, uh, Tim Ludeman and, uh, and the big fella.
the big fella's the host. Yeah, absolutely. Chuck, um, I have to say it's been an absolute pleasure. Are there any closing remarks or uh, anything final you want to you want to put out there for us? Uh, look, we, to be honest, we've probably only scratched the surface, but I know we've gone for a, a good hour and I've really enjoyed it. And I'll just, I'll end with how I started. I, I just send my regards and my love to everybody involved at Macclesfield Cricket Club. To the friendships that I made, they have lasted forever. Uh, to Towley, Danny Ackley, and there's many, many more. To Alan Sherritt or Mr Blobby, uh, and many, many more. It's too many to sort of name. I certainly hope, I really hope that I get across there next year in 2021 to be part of the coaching team with the London Spirit. And make no mistake, there will be a seven-day block out in that schedule where I will be visiting Macclesfield and I'll be very disappointed if we didn't try and get some of that old crew together. And we do have a reunion, and we probably reminisce about what we've gone through tonight and more. And I would love nothing dearer to be at Mackles at Victoria Road, up on the balcony, having a pint with 15 or 20 of my old mates, reminiscing about the great times that we had in 92 and 93. I came over there as the overseas professional. I learned an enormous amount. It improved me as a cricketer. I learned a lot about myself as a person. No doubt I upset a few people along the way, but I'd like to think that I left a legacy at Macclesfield Cricket Club uh, and a lot of fond memories on the field to win the league and win the cup two years in a row. I don't say this lightly. They were the two most enjoyable years of my cricketing life. Chuck, I I don't think there's a better way to finish than that. So I'm simply going to say thank you very much. Great to speak with you and hope to to see you soon. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Love to everyone at Macclesfield and I'll catch up with you all next year. Cheers, Chuck. Thank you for your continued support of the podcast. If you haven't already, please do take the time to follow us on Podbean and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. This really helps us to grow our audience. And just this week, we peaked as the fourth most downloaded cricket podcast on the UK iTunes chart. Yeah.